Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Al D. This is a show designed for aspiring current and former MBAs looking for advice on how you can grow your career through an MBA degree. During each episode, I'll talk to MBA students, graduates, and leaders about the MBA experience, navigating the workplace, and career development so you can learn how to develop and achieve your own version of career success through an MBA and beyond. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. My name is Al D. I'm the host of the MBA Insider Podcast and the founder of MBAschool.com. Delighted today to have with me Kathy Onetto, who is the founder and principal strategist at the agency Onetto and of Sustainable Ambition, which we're going to talk about a little bit. She's also a UC Berkeley Haas MBA alum. And I'm excited to talk to Kathy because not only is she a fellow, but she also is someone who thinks very reflectively and very deeply about careers and leadership and a lot of other topics, which we're going to get into in a little bit. But Kathy, it's great to have you here. I was grateful to be on the Sustainable Ambition podcast twice. And so I'm glad I was able to grab some time with you to get you on the MBA Insider podcast. And I always love starting with a formal question for my guests, as they all know. And my warm question for you, Kathy, what was your first job? And what did you learn from that experience? Great. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, Al. Thanks so much for having me. I'm going to give you a couple of them, actually, but I'll I'll be brief, I promise. So a couple of my first jobs were actually things like being a lifeguard and babysitting. And both of those I didn't particularly love for some reason. And I, I guess the lesson that I learned from that is just to pay attention to what resonates with you and what doesn't and be willing to change if something doesn't resonate with you. Those did not work for me from a working perspective when I was young. I didn't like them. And so guess what? I stopped doing them. The other thing that I did was like a lot of young people as I worked in retail establishments, restaurant and also at The Gap. And what I would say what I learned there was don't think any work is beneath you. Just get the job done. Those are some great lessons that I think can serve you well at so many different levels of your career. And so nice that you were able to learn them at such a young age. Okay, so let's fast forward a little bit and think about within the context of where you were in your professional career before you went to business school. So take me through and talk a little bit about immediately before you went to business school, what were you doing or where were you in your professional career? And why at that point did it make sense for you to go and get an MBA? So I like to talk about this because I'm one of those folks that studied undergraduate business, and I was lucky to go to a great institution, the University of Virginia, and I absolutely loved my undergraduate education. And so I didn't think I was going to get an MBA. And I think if I knew that was on my horizon, I likely would have studied something different in undergrad just to because learning is so important to me and breadth of learning is important to me. So what I was doing and what what led me to go get a business degree was I was lucky to have worked at Young and Rubicam Inc., which at the time, this is going to date me, but whatever, people may not know this anyway, was a large holding, one of the large holding companies of an advertising agency, but they also owned like Burson Marsteller, which is the largest PR firm in the world, Landor Associates, which was one of the premier design firms in the world. And I got the chance to work with very senior finance executives within that organization. And I think I just knew pretty early on that finance, although that's what I studied in undergrad, was not going to really be my path. And I was exploring what was going to be next. And my interests were really broad. I was interested in public policy. I was interested in city planning. 
And I was still interested in business. And as I was exploring different opportunities for additional education, like I just wanted to get a master's degree. I believe that a master's degree was going to further my career. I thought it would be helpful and important. And I believe in education. And so that's what led me to this thing. Okay, I'm going to get a master's degree. But me being the practical person that I am, I also was like, you know what? I'm really nervous to go get a degree in public policy or city planning, which would be very narrow. And what if I go and do that and invest like two years and I end up not liking it? And so what I did, and part of the reason I landed at Berkeley was that not only was Berkeley the great, it was really a great fit for me culturally, but the other thing was Berkeley had the number one real estate program. And so I thought that maybe city planning, real estate, I might be interested in that. And then it also has one of the top city planning departments in the country. And so I was able in my first year to actually explore real estate, explore city planning. I actually took a city planning class in the city planning school. And so that's what kind of drew me to getting a master's with both, okay, what's next for my career? I don't think I want to continue in the path that I'm doing. I thought a master's would further me. And also I landed at a place that would allow me to explore the multiple things I was interested in exploring at that time. So you made your way to Berkeley. Talk a little bit about that experience. What were some of the highlights or perhaps maybe some of the more memorable experiences in your time in business school? So I will just say, and I already alluded to the fact that for me, Berkeley was just such a great fit. The community that is fostered there was, it's just a unique one. And I think Berkeley is a place that perhaps not surprisingly, people might not, might expect Berkeley to be like a diverse place. I think it is a community that allows for different types of backgrounds and also what people are going to pursue that's going to be different. So I think just even that experience of having a a community that felt very inclusive as well as all experiences or ambitions were welcome. I thought I appreciated, I think as I already alluded to, I appreciated the opportunity to explore as I said, in terms of these different disciplines that I was interested in, it also afforded me the opportunity to stretch myself. And so we're going to talk about sustainable ambition. I've always been interested in career. And so when I was there at Berkeley, I hosted a career planning seminar. I created that. I hosted it. And it was great to have that experience because as we all know, everyone goes to business school claiming they know what they say they know what they want to do. And then you get there in your first year, you're like, of course, I don't know what I want to do. That's why I'm here. And so I hosted this session for first years to identify, hey, what do you want to be focused on? What might you want to do in your internship or as you explore what might be next for your career. The other thing I'm going to throw out there that actually, Elle, is sustainable ambition related to, it might be unique in terms of what you might expect me to say in terms of a memorable experience, is that I also chose to dial in my effort when I was in business school. So as an example of this, not uncommon in in first-year business schools, we had a capstone project and you get put into a team and this is in your first semester And it's going to be in one of our classes, it might have been our econ class, and it's, okay, how much effort do you want to put into this thing? And in business school, I knew that, I just knew that like what my GPA was going to be coming out of business school was not going to be that important to employers. And so I wasn't 
that wasn't what I was focused on, that measure. And so we as a team in this project asked ourselves, what grade do we want to get? And we literally went around our group and was like, are you okay with a B? B, 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 B. And we dialed in our effort and guess what? We got a B, but at least we didn't make ourselves crazy during this time as we watched all these other teams that kind of made themselves crazy. I still learned what I needed to learn from econ. I still got what I got wanted to get out of it. But that was a memorable experience, as you can see. I'm still talking about it, and it relates to what we're going to talk about later. Yeah, I think it's such a interesting and fun lesson that you learn in business. I think a lot of people learn in business school, and not every not everyone, but I think a lot of people. And as I reflect on it and try to maybe think critically about it, I think part of it is because I think for so many people who enter business school, you have to have a certain aptitude academically most of the time to to be in a business school environment, which typically lends itself towards having gotten quote unquote A's or pretty high grades up until that point. And so being able to cross that chasm in your mind of I am intentionally not going to get an A or the equivalent of an A, I think is such a interesting it's an interesting chasm to cross. And by no means am I advocating, yay, like crappy grades, but I think the the lesson that I think is valuable in that is if you can't if you if you can't be perfect, quote unquote perfect, what do you care about? And what do you want to direct your attention and your energy and your thoughts to? Uh, because the reality of it is if we actually are honest with ourselves in the workplace, we in theory cannot, we don't have the ability to actually direct our 100% attention to every single thing that we do. That's exactly. I think that's what it's about. It's like, where do I want to, I talk about where do I want to put in the hard work? And so it's just being discerning around what really matters here. And also, am I going to get the value that I need to get? I'd be disappointed if I didn't put in the work and I didn't get the learning out of it. So as long as I'm getting what I want out of it from a value perspective, but at least I was discerning about it. I didn't do it just without having thought about it. It was really being thoughtful about, as you were saying, where do I want to put the effort and what really matters here? I might be fishing a little bit so you can tell me if I am, but perhaps maybe there's a lesson in there too around just because you throw a lot of time at something doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to yield the exact outcome. And conversely, sometimes it's not necessarily about quote unquote throwing time at something you could maybe spend a small amount of time at something and perhaps you could still yield a, a good outcome or a great outcome. I don't know if there's anything in there that resonates at all, but it was just something I was thinking about as you talked about it. No, I think that's very true. I actually just was working on something where I had that exact thing happen where I'm taking a course and I submitted something for a review where I was getting feedback on this document and this deliverable. And I kind of apologized and said to this individual who was helping me, a developmental editor, and I said, I only had so much time. So here's what I was able to do. I wouldn't have been able to tell. This is great. You're in a great spot. I don't know what you're apologizing about. So sometimes we need to check ourselves. And some of many of us overachievers or people that have a tendency to, I'm just a hard worker. I put effort into things. So yes, even that example was a little bit anormal for me and was good for me to stretch myself in that way. That's why it's so memorable. And I think I need to, just the point that you're making out, I need to remind myself of that from a sustainability perspective. So I know we've talked a little bit about your time in business school, but maybe just to close the, the loop on this one here, any other, perhaps knowing what you know now, any reflections from that time about so, any other key learnings or anything that you really took away from your time at Haas that was useful, helpful to helping you continue to progress and grow in your career up to that point? I guess what I think 
This is a lesson and it goes all the way back to that first job that I'm going to talk about, which is every experience is an opportunity for you to learn about yourself. And I think being paying attention and being discerning about, and, and you and I have talked about the concept of self-reflection and taking the time for self-reflection and how important that is. So I think like paying attention, being discerning, doing self-reflection to understand, did the experience that I just have, is it something I liked or I didn't like? Was it energizing or was it draining? I think that that's something that I learned through my experience of business school. And I also think in that, I think giving yourself permission to walk away from things that you thought you might have had interest in and not being so hard on yourself around that. So for example, when I do give this example of, wow, I went to Berkeley and part of my intention was to go down the real estate and city planning path. And where did I, I I didn't go there. What happened? I can look back at that and be critical of myself. And yet I look at it and I remind myself that I was listening to myself and listening to what was attracting my attention and what I was finding satisfying in my work. And I think that's a really important lesson, especially around navigating career over time. Well, you graduate from Haas and you go back into the working world and talk to me just perhaps maybe a little bit about as you were progressing in your career post-business school, when did you start perhaps thinking about is this the right path for me? What made you perhaps, I'm leaving the witness here, but start thinking and wondering, could there be other things? And before you jump into that, sorry, tell us what you were doing in your in your career right after business school. Yeah. So when I stepped out of business school, I went into consulting. There's kind of a theme here, which is I wanted foundational training. And I thought consulting would provide that for me. And I was interested in getting that. I had interest, this is going to lead the way there, but I had interest in entrepreneurship as well. And I thought it would be beneficial to get that additional foundational kind of business experience before I went and had that type of experience. And so I did consulting. For better or worse, I got laid off six months after and actually during the dot-com boom. So it was interesting because consulting at that time was actually contracting and, but the dot-com world was booming. And so I was based in the Bay Area. And so at that time, I was able to transition to Clorox, actually, where I entered brand management. And that ended up being a really great fit for me. I guess what I would say in terms of when I started to think about other experiences, I think I've always been on this quest. I think I, I talk, say, I describe myself as a career enthusiast. I think I've always just thought about this stuff. And I think I've always been, and you've already heard me allude to it, on the search for the technical term around like match quality. I've been on the search of match quality and paying attention to that myself in terms of, hey, what I'm really enjoying here is this aspect of my work. Perhaps I should then step into this if that's what I'm enjoying. And I think that's that kind of philosophy is what's guided me through my career. So be it, okay, when I was at Clorox, hey, I'm really loving my innovation work. That's what I really, I even enjoy that more than managing a base business. Okay, then I stepped into an innovation role. And those kinds of insights guided me in taking next steps along my journey of my career. Hey there, it's Al. And thanks so much for listening to the MBA Insider Podcast. 
I wanted to take a quick break to ask you a small favor. I'm loving doing this show, and I hope you're enjoying it too. Unfortunately, it's still pretty hard to spread the word on podcasts, and that's where I would really love your help. If you're enjoying this episode, I would really appreciate it if you take a few minutes to leave a review and rate this podcast on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, or simply share it on social media or send it to a friend. I'm incredibly grateful for your support. Thank you, and let's get back to the show. And was there ever a moment or perhaps, I don't know, a crucible moment or just a specific experience or specific thing that led to an aha where you flipped the switch? Or was it more gradual and maybe a couple moments? Or I'm just curious, as you started to move into more of that direction, if there is anything that comes to mind or comes up for you? I would say that it's interesting. I think I've had, I had some career moves that ended up being more quick and opportunistic, but I would say that many of them actually took time. And for example, when I left Clorox, I knew I was ready to move on to my next thing. And yet I planted that seed in my mind and yet I allowed myself space. It's not like I had to make a move quickly. And I allowed myself the space to explore and for the right opportunity to show up. And so that was one that I think was more over time. I would say the crucible moment was really later in my career, Al. And I think when I started to think about what might be next and stepping out perhaps on my own and moving away from the corporate world, I think was a little bit more of that crucible moment of I ended up getting burnt out after I had a little bit of recovery time, but I essentially, I worked at a startup and then I worked at an agency and they were both really intense experiences. And I really longed to take a sabbatical. And so it took me four years to figure out how to take a sabbatical. But after I came out of taking a sabbatical, it's not like I wasn't thoughtful about it, but I had already decided that I was going to just do consulting coming out of that sabbatical. But I think at that stage of my career, and I'm a little bit later in my career, that what I was seeing out in the marketplace and how I might fit out in the marketplace, given what I liked to do, wasn't so nice and neat. And I would say that that probably, this transition of like kind of second stage career, I would say, has been probably the more challenging. Can you talk a little bit about when you decided to go off on your own and what did you end up doing? Yeah, I... As I just alluded to, I as I was coming out of my sabbatical, that's when I really decided to at least test it out. Let me test out what it would be like to step out on my own. And I, for me, I went ahead and I gave myself some parameters around that. Let me see. Let me test this out. Let me prototype it. Let me have some guardrails around is this, how is this feeling for me? Am I getting traction? And then let me decide, am I going to step back into the corporate path or not and get a job or am I going to stay out on my own? And so I will admit that I went back and foot, back and forth on that rather. We're like one foot in, one foot out. And, and so for me, it's, it has ended up being taking on different shapes now that I've like fully decided, Hey, my preference is really to be operating as a self-employed person and what has worked for me in terms of my business model, I think for individuals going out on their own, I think it's really important. And I don't think people think about it enough to really think about what is the business model that works for me. And I think it's helpful for people to recognize there are a lot of different business models out there. So for me, it's really 
worked best to partner with people. That's been my method so far. And it's certainly been a learning journey for sure. Yeah, for sure. And I think part of that too, is that I think on the surface, sometimes the idea of going out off on your own and becoming an entrepreneur, there's kind of the way that it sounds and the way that people describe it. And then there is a reality and brass tacks of the day-to-day and the nitty-gritty. And depending on the nature of the conversation, there is some alignment around that and absolutely no alignment around that. <laughs> and there is, and similarly to anyone else for uh, who's maybe taking a, a a perspective or path that maybe isn't seen as the predominant path. I think there's always their curiosity about this other thing that people are doing that seems really interesting and curious. Uh, at least that's certainly the perspective that I've gotten. You know, someone else who is also in this area who often gets a lot of questions about what it's like to uh, go down this path. And, and certainly on the path you're on, you've been up to a number of different things. But one of the ones I want to talk about is this thing called sustainable ambition. Can you talk a little bit more about uh, what it is and how you came up with it and why it's so important to you? Sure. So I really think sustainable ambition is a number of different things in that it's a mindset. I think it's a concept. And for me, it's become a method. Even just asking myself, what is a sustainable ambition way here is something that I ask myself now. So the way that I think about sustainable ambition, it's about being consciously ambitious, being more conscious about how we're being ambitious, and also about crafting, fulfilling work from decade to decade, and importantly, without sacrificing your life or yourself. So if I were to break that down again in two ways, one is like a long-term kind of lens, if you think about sustainability, like how do I navigate a career over time and really keep it regenerative for myself? And then there's also an aspect of it that's, okay, how do I sustain myself while going after my ambitions? Those are the couple of aspects of sustainable ambition. And how, without trying to be philosophical here, how did you come up with that? Or like, Mm. how did that really bubble up and and come to life? Yeah, this came to life because as I've said a couple of times now that I am a career enthusiast, it's something that I've thought about for a long time. When I came up with the concept, I had already been writing about career transition and navigating and managing careers for a couple of years. And I had been doing research with people who had gone through career transitions and had experienced career inflection points, experiencing, at least with a lot of friends at my stage in life and career, where we were experiencing these points in our careers where our ambitions were shifting. And we were like shocked by it. It was like, what's going on? I don't want to do the same things that I want to do or where I want to put my attention is shifting on me. And so that was happening. I was experiencing it. A lot of people around me were experiencing it. And then I was hosting a workshop around sustainable ambition and some of my practices. And again, it came up again with, and what really triggered the term sustainable ambition was one of the attendees talking about how she really felt like her ambitions had steered her wrong. And what she had gone after was perhaps not what you kind of go after these things thinking they're going to lead to fulfillment and satisfaction and happiness. And you get there and you're like, oops, what happened here? I'm not experiencing what I thought I was going to experience. And so there was a culmination of all of these things that led to this concept of sustainable ambition being birthed and then me putting more 
rigor or method or concepts and words and language to this thing that kind of came together around the term of sustainable ambition. I think what's been interesting for me just watching this and observing this come to life is that so often we take a word like ambition and kind of leave it at face value. I think in certain degrees, I don't think anyone disagrees that it is a thing. And particularly if you're listening to this podcast, most likely than not, you're either an aspiring MBA, current MBA, or in order to pursue higher education like that, there's a degree of ambition, even if you haven't really defined the definition that you probably already ascribe to, uh, just because if you weren't, you, you probably wouldn't be thinking about this. That said, I don't know if I really ever took the time to really actually think reflectively about, okay, well, yeah, there's this thing in this word, and I know it means something. But within the context of what it means for me, I don't really ever know if I ever took the time to really ever do that. And it, I don't know, I'm just curious if that's something that has come up at all in any of the workshops you've done, or in the people and the conversations that you have with your clients or people that you run into when you talk about these concepts. For sure. This is one of the reasons why I started to explore ambition myself is that there's a book by, I believe it's Paul Arden, How Good Do You Want to Be? And what really triggered even me exploring ambition was that he has a page in that book that asks that question, (laughs) how good do you want to be? And there's like good, very good, when he goes up to conquer the world or rule the world or something to that effect. And he has a picture of Napoleon and he has like pictures of people along the spectrum of like, how good do you want to be? And I just paused on that page and was like, huh, have I really thought that? And have I been intentional about how good I want to be or what I want to strive for? And I think when I saw that, it's the first time that I started to really reflect on ambition and really think about it a bit more. And I, yes, Al, I do hear this from other people. And yet I also hear now that I've been exploring this space that for those that really have more consternation around ambition, it can hold a lot of sway. There's a lot of baggage that can come around ambition. And I think what I've learned as well is, look, ambition is good and bad. Right. And so it's to me, it really takes a dialing in. And that's why I think this idea of sustainable ambition is important. And I think that, you know, what I think is important about this is why I also talk about being more conscious about it, because I think that it's not uncommon for us to blindly, if we will, and there's reasons why we do this. It's primarily because we're human, right? That we blindly go after these ambitions and then we realize, oh, wait, I followed these ambitions and I'm realizing now that I'm more aware of myself and have learned about myself that this isn't actually what I want. And at any rate, I'll leave it there. I think that, yes, it's a squirrely kind of topic. And I think that many of us don't really think about it as consciously as I, I think it would benefit us to. Well, and I think part of what I've observed, at least over the years, is that not that I necessarily want to put sustainable ambition in the same mouth and bucket as some other terms that are in the work ether and atmosphere lately, but uh, example, quiet quitting or any other acronym. What I think is interesting and what I think is different is that I don't necessarily know, and I to be granted, I wasn't around in the 1900s, but I don't know if we had the language as well as the forum and the dialogue around talking about work and careers in the ways in which we have that now. As a just a lazy example, 
I think one of the reasons why these terms didn't spread like wildfires back in the 1900s is because there wasn't media and the ver- uh, the pervasiveness of media in ways in which in technology with media in ways in which that exists today. And so I think that's just one element of it. But now with media and with technology, there can be these outlets where these ideas and thoughts and language can exist. And I think what, because I remember the first time I heard the term and I heard you talk about it, I, I immediately it drew to it right away, if only because I felt I could tell it was something that resonated, but it hadn't been entered into the lexicon. We just didn't have, I didn't have words like for it. And so I think that is what's been interesting to me just observing some of these concepts is that I think we're just at a point now in culture and society, at least in the Western world where, and with technology enabled and media enabled, where we have just have more conversations and more language to talk about these things in ways in which we haven't had in the past. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. And I think even just this Building on what you're saying, and this may take it a little bit in a different direction than you were intending, but what I have found fascinating about sustainable ambition as a term is how many different ways it gets interpreted by others, right? And so I love to ask now of people coming on my podcast where I say, what does sustainable ambition mean to you? And and they dance around similar things, but there's always a slight nuance. And I find that really interesting. Yeah. No, and I think though that that it's what it speaks to in the sense that it clearly is resonating, and it just does maybe perhaps in different ways to to different people, and to a certain degree that kind of makes sense in the fact that different people have different ideas and views for how they think, or in theory they have different ideas and views of how they might think about their career, and so it might as a result of that it's just going to hit differently depending on who you are. Maybe just to talk and wrap this in a bow here. What do you think is important or valuable or insightful for folks listening to this who might be either considering an MBA, currently business school and or alum, to take away from this concept of sustainable ambition? So there are a couple of things. One is, I'm going to start with this overarching, and then I'm going to give you a couple, just a little bit more detail points. One is just, how do you navigate your career over time? And then the second is around how do you sustain yourself when you're doing this? And so why is that important? Well, I think that we've already talked about one point reason it's important is around ambitions and thinking about ambitions and being more conscious about them. And my counsel there is to just not lose yourself when you're defining what your ambitions are going to be, because at some point you may find, again, that what you've been chasing is not what you wanted. And so really making sure that you're attuning to yourself and aligning your ambitions to what is important to you, what motivates you, I think is really important. And it's also important in terms of even just motivating your own effort. A lot of us are achievement oriented, right? And this is why I think for those of us MBA types, high achievers, like to not ignore the ex, like the internal intrinsic motivators and not, I just advise, don't just focus on the extrinsic motivators, those external goals that you might be going after. The other reason this is important is that it sounds like a no duh, but people just, I think, get surprised, which is life will change on you and work will change on you over time and they will sneak up on you and you need to be prepared and thoughtful about those changes that can come over time. And especially on work changes and like your satisfaction changing or 
wanting to get to what might be next, you need to plant seeds, I think, a lot sooner than you think in terms of potential career moves. So being thoughtful about that and being in a space of continually learning, I think, is really important. And then the final thing is I like to say, if we are going to stretch and strive, we need a plan to sustain ourselves. And I think, again, for achievement-oriented people, this is not something we think about. You, if so For those of us that are athletes, I've been an athlete most of my life, and like I think about this, but probably still not as diligently as I do now. And I... I have asked this of some people like, hey, do you have a sustaining plan? And they like, look at me cross-eyed. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? And so again, for those of us that are ambitious, I think if you're going to sustain yourself and not burn out, you need to be thoughtful about being really practicing a sustaining plan for yourself. That's what I hope are some of the tips and insights people take away. I think those are great insights. And I would, the, what I would add to that is that for anyone who is considering an MBA or is in business school now or is an alum, the reality of it is, is that most MBA graduates graduate between the ages of 27 and 37. And to the both ex examples of the two individuals who are on this podcast right now, the first job out of business school is not going to be the last one. And it may not be the last profession or the last career or the last industry that you work in. And so there will come a time that the thing that you have architected all of your essays around to get into business school uh, to pursue for a career most likely will not be the thing that you are doing. And that will also mean that there is a rea huge reality that your life will change at some point as a result of all sorts of different things after you graduate from business school. And so the things you learn in business school in terms of learning how to uh, prepare for the career search, how to figure out what you want or what you want to go after, how to build relationships that can lead to job opportunities, how to go out and get something, how to advance. Those will also be valuable after you graduate, but your life may change and what you want may change. And you certainly will continue to be working for some time. And so I think the, the upshot there is that with a concept like sustainable ambition, that can be the thing to help you point in the direction of what do you want to direct that energy towards in a time horizon and in the context of where you are at that point. Because the reality of it is, again, for the people who graduate from business school, you're going to be working for a heck of a long time. <laughs> and so how do you do so in a way that enables all the other things that you want in life? And, and that's where I really, I see something like sustainable ambition coming into play. Well said, Al. Last but not least, just to perhaps close up here, how would you define career success for yourself? I was just reflecting on this yesterday in conversation with a friend. And the way that I think about it is through the lens of sustainable ambition. And I think what is important, and I probably should have said earlier, is I think it's important to define success on your terms. And the way that I look to do that is I look at what is meaningful and motivating to myself and make it personally rewarding. And the four places that I look are, does this align to the vision that I want? or have for my life and for my work? Am I giving and contributing in a way that I would like to? Does this align with the values or what is what I value in my life and my work? And am I doing things that I love in both of those as well? And then all of that is tied to meaningful metrics. And that's how I define success is like, is success is what I'm doing meaningful and motivating to me? Is it personally rewarding for me? That's where I search and I look at those various elements. All right. Kathy Onetto, thank you for coming on the MBA Insider Podcast. If people want to learn more about you or your work or your podcast, where can we point them towards? 
Yes, they can find me at sustainable.com and they can also find the Sustainable Ambition podcast on their favorite podcast player. Hi, everyone. LD here. And thank you so much for listening to the MBA Insider podcast. If you liked what you heard, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and to write a review. It will only take 15 seconds. I'd also love to hear what you've been listening to on the podcast and any suggestions you have for how we can improve. Find me on LinkedIn or head over to mbaschooled.com backslash podcast.